and welcome to the Pet Cash Pod. I'm your host, Andrew Pet Cash. This is the 26th episode of my series where I interview founders, investors, athletes, and the smartest people in sports. Today's guest is Blake Lawrence, CEO and co-founder of Open Doors. Open Doors is one of the largest companies in the NIL space. They have a lot of solutions under management, but at their core, they are an NIL deals platform for athletes, agents, brands, and universities. For those of you that don't know Blake, he was a former linebacker at the University of Nebraska. He then founded and sold Herdot Social Media Agency before launching Open Doors in 2012. You'll really enjoy this episode as we dive deep into the weeds of college sports and name, image, and likeness, also known as NIL. Let's dive in. Blake, appreciate you coming on today. I'm excited to uh, dive into this one. I see you're out in Vandy. Yeah, certainly, man. Yeah, on campus here, we do a lot of campus visits and NIL education with the student athletes, the athletic directors, coaches. So Vanderbilt's been a long time partner. It's good to come out here and, and see what they got going on. They got a, a great program here across, uh, you know, baseball, basketball, football, everything on, on campus is uh, it's humming. So it's a good, good place to be. Yeah, perfect breed of uh, education. Bunch of smart kids that are also good sports. But curious, NCAA they uh, they came down last week on the Cavenders as kind of their first thing, and then Miami women's basketball. You know, what are your thoughts on all that? Certainly, it, one of my takeaways from the NCAA and the infractions at at Miami is that there's a lot of folks that are being introduced to the NCAA's governance and policies for the very first time to understand that the N- NCAA is a membership organization made up of the schools themselves, the institutions. And these schools and the institutions are the only entities that they can and will discipline, right? So in the situation uh, in Miami, it's all public record, right? They're, the Cavenders are not disciplined. Um, the, the third party that was part of the, the situation is not disciplined. It's, it's simply the school. And I think a lot of folks have to understand that's how the NCA works. Like the members themselves are held to a standard that they have to upkeep. And if they don't, then there's infractions. And it, the penalties don't go to the student athletes and don't go to the boosters. They go to the schools themselves and the programs within it. So that's my key takeaway. It's like people need to understand like that's yeah. how this works. Like who gets in trouble? It's the this institution is not the student athletes. Yeah. And are you seeing the collective change their approach at all lately? Like being a little more cautious? That's what it seems like a little bit. Yeah, certainly. I, I think the NSA provided guidance to collectives and to the entire industry that helped them understand that improper contact, like contacting a prospect, whether in high school in the transfer portal, um, has never been allowed for boosters or entities supporting an institution. And, and that continues today. So again, those clarifications from the NSA help collectives understand what they can and cannot do and where to put their energy. So again, the, the clarifications from the NCAA just helps, uh, but the rules that are being enforced is like at Miami in that situation and improper contact of collectives, just recruits, they've been around, right? So it's just like applying it in this NIL era is important. Yeah. And do you think uh, Charlie Baker, he just, I think it was like his first day last week, he's the new NCAA president. You think he's going to come in and kind of set a new stage or a lot of the same that we've been seeing? Anytime an organization has a new leader, there's going to be something that happens or a big focus or the first hundred days. I think Charlie Baker's made NIL a main topic or priority. So much of what the NSA desires to do around the topic of NIL requires some support from the from Congress. It just does uh, in terms of protections and the business and the entity. And I, I don't think that Baker has any desire to take any rights away from student athletes. I think it's more about providing structure to a the NCA and its member institutions. So he's going to 
make waves in some way. It's yet to be known exactly how real and how soon, but anytime there's a new leader in place, you can expect change coming. Yeah. And uh, Sam, your your head of PR and communications, he sent me an interesting stat. Like I said, we have March Madness coming up here soon. And at least in your backend data, I'm not sure where he got it, but there's a 300% increase in brand deals that are going down currently. I'm just kind of wondering like where you think that's coming from. Is it March Madness? You know, why or early March is this all happening? Yes, certainly. I think that brands in the first year of NIL, the first March Madness tournament, which was just a year ago, was the first March Madness of NIL. And we're trying to figure out how to navigate NIL and what to do, what they can do, what they can't do. And the schools a year ago were in that same position where, you know, St. Peter's made a run and, and uh, Dougie, uh, Dougie became Eater. a name. Yeah, Doug Eater became <laughs> a, a household name in a week across the country. And, and then brands would contact the school and the schools a year ago didn't know if they could even talk to the student athletes about deals. Like the NSA provided better guidance so that brands can feel more comfortable doing deals with student athletes in preparation for March Madness. So infrastructure is getting more established across the industry. And that means brands are more comfortable spending with student athletes. So those things are going to play on trend to seeing that 300% year-over-year growth in, in brand commitments to student athletes in NIL. Are the expectations changing for these athletes or brands at all over the last two years, really? What's interesting about brands in the NIL space is that brands are going to set up and structure their compensation to student athletes in the same way they do professional athletes or other creators or influencers. And brands are going to use a formula of, of their online audience and influence to determine like what they should pay an athlete for an appearance, for a social post, a promotion, a video shoot, like hourly rates. Like all of these things are known numbers for brands and have been established over the last decade, especially in influencer marketing, right? So brands are in a position where they have to apply the same logic they've applied to and athlete endorsements for years or creator marketing, influencer marketing with NIL. The challenge is that collectives are compensating student athletes at such a high level that there's an inflated ask. The student athletes are, are asking for a rate that is beyond what a business or brand is used to paying at any level of professional sports and, and certainly in influencer marketing. So there's a reality that sets in like when athletes are negotiating with brands versus working on a collective deal that what brands pay them is likely their more pure market rate as compared to what they're being compensated from collectives. I was talking with uh, Pete at Team Snap earlier this week, and he was just talking about he thinks there's a three to five year lag effect in NIL into the youth space. Are you seeing something similar on that? I mean, where are you guys seeing it? Because you're really seeing you're like sitting in the middle of it going from pro to college, then down to youth. So one of the great benefits of sports in general is that there is infrastructure and, and as compared to creator or influencer marketing, where there's like, if you're an Instagram blogger, like you're not on a team, like there's not a governing body, there's no association or union. But if you are playing college basketball at Vanderbilt, like there's an entire administrative aspect of your life. And even in the first 18, 20 months of college, that system is being tested like how well oiled is the machine of college sports uh as it as it comes to helping student athletes actually understand and monetize nil and it will take some time until there's real infrastructure uh, to help student athletes monetize to the fullest in college sports if you try and apply that to high school i mean think about the administrative components like there's more there's millions of athletes there's there's tens of thousands of high schools um aau programs alike there's will take quite some time until there's established infrastructure of NIL opportunities in high school. And there's certainly going to be all likely tied to an athlete's marketability, like their online presence and whatnot. So 
Yeah, there's there's opportunity in high school, but it's going to be the most like pure play NIL. Like if an athlete like Bronny James has tens of millions of followers um, on social channels in high school, then yeah, he should certainly be able to monetize that. The one-off deals for an athlete with very little online presence is unlikely to be a established market anytime soon, in our opinion. Yeah, it's funny. You see the uh, Bronny James and the Arch Manning and all the guys, Charlie Woods, all the, the guys and girls that don't really need the help. They're getting all these uh, big deals, which is interesting. But something else on that front, I mean, you started this, what, 10 years ago or something now? Open Doors, yeah. I'm speaking about. I mean, do you have, did you ever see it? Maybe go to your original idea, but like morphing into what it is today? You know, at Open Doors, when we started Open Doors in 2012, it's really to help one athlete and understand their brand value, build their brand value and, and monetize it, right? Using technology. And at the time in 2012, the app store was new, like software development and like, uh, there's a lot of new out there. And it started to imagine a world in 2012 is like, hey, you know, 10 years from now, will an agent be the only way that athletes make money? And with the growth of technology, the answer to that was simply no. Like athletes are going to use technology to understand their value, build their value and monetize their value. And there was a gap in the market, like no one was serving that. So we set out to help one athlete. And then it's evolved to hundreds of thousands of athletes, 100,000 plus athletes. And we're still doing those same simple things, like helping athletes understand their value, build it and monetize it. But the college athlete component to it is what you would have to have a perfect crystal ball to say that this is going to happen. But I can tell you, I'll take you to a, a moment where, you know, Open Doors, we've raised $40 million in venture capital to build this company. And in 2015, we were in the final pitch with Flyover Capital. That's a, our, one of our lead investors out of Kansas City. And they said, you know, what is something that makes Open Doors uh, have the potential to be a billion dollar company? And Audi, my co-founder, and I looked at each other and just said simply, like, if the NCAA allows college athletes to get paid. And that was in 2015. You know, that meeting ended well, Flyover made the investment, and then fast forward, you know, five years and the NCAA makes a rule to allow college athletes to get paid. And that sets us off into a new path. And we're kind of on that path today and excited about what that means. So could I imagine that it would be what it is in the same form today, 10 years ago? No. But if you start to help an athlete and you spend a decade doing it, like you, you would build open doors too. Like you'd probably end up right where we are. So it just have had a lot of time to work on doing something right. And the, the industry's kind of emerged around it. Yeah, it's super cool. Now, you brought up something in there at the beginning about the agency and showing players their real value. Do you think that model is going to begin to get transformed? And maybe because it's starting at the high school level, college level now with NIL? I would say the every every industry that has an agency component has evolved with the advent of technology. And I will, one of my favorite examples would be, let's say travel agency, right? So when Expedia came about, a travel agency's job was to know what the cost of flights were, hotels and travel. And they built an entire business around being the only people in the world that had that information. So the buyers and sellers didn't communicate. They had to work through an agency and that agency gains a tremendous amount of power um, because there's information asymmetry, like one side of the equation knows all the information, the other one doesn't. Expedia changed that overnight, right? By providing the buyers and sellers information access, like they use technology to improve the efficiency of the industry, like everyone wins. Travel agents are still doing better because of uh, an entity like an Expedia and tools like that. And then you go into real estate where a real estate agent has been, you know, a, a key cog in the wheel for such a long time. 
And then Zillow comes about and provides more transparency about what the market really is and who is buying what and where. And I can tell you that real estate agents are the number one users of Zillow, even though they may not like what the information is. Like it's, it's at least good information to work upon. And in sports, um, talent agents have for a long time been the only in entities and uh, individuals that know the market rates and know what somebody should get paid. And um, there's great value in that. But when the market was only 5,000 athletes, like that's okay. There's 500,000 athletes now in the U.S. that are monetizing NIL and they need better access to information because it can't be all kept within the minds of a few agents. And so technology is going to help improve and, and advance um, the sports agent ecosystem and, and open doors is a, a key cog in that wheel. And, and um, so it's not targeted, you know, it, it is part of the evolution of industry and uh, open doors is kind of the, the Expedia, you know, just as Expedia did to travel or Zillow to, to real estate, like open doors is doing to endorsements and NIL. And um, it's a good thing for all. What's the international component look like? Cause you said 500,000, but you really open another can of worms when you look beyond just the United States and that legalization, which still hasn't even happened here in the States. Yeah, certainly. I mean, internationally, there is even more uh, challenges with infrastructure. If you are going to look at like the process of putting like it used to be a, a great uh, pet cash uh, thread, right? But the process of putting together the the FIFA video game and what it takes to get the rights to each player in Europe for that soccer, right? Some of the rights are owned by the team, some are owned by an agent, some are owned by the individual, some are owned by ent entities and third parties, some by media. So it is international infrastructure for endorsements is lacking um, and technology can't improve that. But there are still enough challenges in, in the U.S. and domestically that uh, our, our focus is here for now. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you've done it well. I always say in sports, you should build in the niche of at least start something. You guys started with one athlete, then it's like one school and then it's, you know, then it just gets bigger and bigger. But uh, something off that, I, I have this debate all the time. Like, how big do you think the NIL market is maybe today and then also where it's going to be in five, 10 years? Yeah, certainly. I think th it's a billion dollar industry. I mean, if you put together all the dollars spent on athlete driven products and services, like in the college space, it's a billion dollar industry. And that would, um, it, it will grow. And I think a lot of that, the growth will come from um, the support from, the donor segment, right? The collectives and the impact of collectives in sports is undeniable. If you can imagine, like there's 130 Power Five, Group of Five schools across the U.S., and if the average entity is, you know, seeing a, a $10 million in, in support for their student athletes, which is not a lot when it comes to the like the beast of, of college sports, then it's already north of a, of a billion dollars just from collective supporting student athletes. That's not inclusive of Fans buying jerseys, uniforms, video games, um, shirts, t-shirts, shout outs, like the autographs, like all of the spend on athlete products and services is sure to, to exceed a billion dollars a year uh, in its current form. And that will grow as more collectives are established and more industry infrastructure keeps popping up. And you're talking about the deals as like a billion dollar market. But what about like the company aspect or like the opportunity for you know, infrastructure around it, does that increase it? I think it certainly does. I think that like open doors and, and the, the, the dollars that are spent on tools like ours, like for the, the schools um, and partnerships like that creates an industry itself. And it should be all in support of the student athletes. I think that like 
our main focus in our messaging to our partners right now is about NIL ROI. And it is the fact that the amount of dollars that student athletes are earning right from a partner like open doors should greatly exceed the amount of money the schools are paying for tools like this right and that becomes a, a major you know, factor in this conversation so um how do we maximize those opportunities and ensure that the people in this ecosystem are actually driving dollars back to the student athletes like way more than they're taking from um, their partners is critical so here's here's like kind of to finish a thought you know, at open doors like we're really focused on NIL ROI, which is that they're like colleges across the country are spending a lot of money on, on partners in NIL, like education partners, consultants, technology. And what is interesting with that is like Open Doors is part of that. Like a school like Vanderbilt chooses to partner with Open Doors and we are their NIL partner. But our promise of them is that their athletes will, will far like earn way more through Open Doors than they ever pay Open Doors, right? Like our job is to come in and drive real return on investment. And I think that's the challenge for some others in this space is that there's not a true return on investment. I think that people are more critical of that uh, as this industry evolves. So again, if there's a billion dollars spent on in the NIL industry each year in college, that should be a billion dollars to the athletes, not like a billion dollars to open doors, right? It should be like the, do the dollar should be flowing to athletes and open doors just a mechanism to make that happen. And I think that's going to be more scrutinize as the industry grows and over the last well really 2021 we saw like 20 plus i don't know companies pop up most raised actually like significant seed money yeah. have you seen them transform at all or you know what what's happening with some of those new ones or you know it has to be right around that time where they're needing new money or or you know they're closing the doors or changing the what they're doing yeah certainly i think that the nil industry has attracted a lot of outside capital or interests and technology and solutions. And, and one thing that Open Doors, like having done this for a decade, there is a lot of resources required to, to actually have success in the space and a lot of patience and time. Like one of the biggest challenges in sports and talent management in this industry is trust. And you do not earn trust quickly. Um, and the best way to earn trust is to deliver on your promise again and again and again. And when I say again and again and again, it's year one, year two, year three, and now you've proven three times in a row that you can succeed, then yes, a partnership may open up to you, but it doesn't happen faster than that. And that's tough when the industry is small. I mean, there are a thousand potential colleges, you know, across the NCAA ecosystem, another thousand if you add an NAIA and JCAA, but there's 2000 collegiate partners that you could, you know, ever work with. And that may sound like a lot. It's not, it is not a large industry and it takes a long time to break into it. So those that have gotten funding to come into the space, they're finding out quickly how it's going to take longer than you think and cost twice. I mean, here's what I would say it's that like it, to any entrepreneur, like it's going to take twice as long and cost twice as much to get to where you want to be. And I can tell you that because it is true in my life and uh, true for most entrepreneurs I know. And you guys raised another 20 mil last year and you said 40 mil earlier. Most of that's come over the last couple of years. What have you used to, you know, expand that? And, yeah, and I mean, by the way, for, for anyone listening, basketball practice going on in the background. So this got me going, man. It's got me ready. To can you hear it? You can hear him going? A little bit. Yeah, I love it. Uh, no, Vanderbilt men's basketball getting ready for the SEC tourney, man. They, these guys are getting after it. But um, yeah, for us, like capital means more opportunities for growth. I mean, there, there is an opportunity for openers to provide technology to a wide set of, of stakeholders in this industry. And again, like open doors we we're the largest provider of technology in the athlete endorsement industry. 
you put the athlete in the middle and we provide them the athlete tools like for education. So there's a lot of insights and information that we have to build out tools for them there. And then you provide them marketing tools. So it's the uh, content aggregation, media distribution, access, and, and whatnot. And then you provide them monetization tools, which when you get into monetization, like you're talking about a marketplace solution, a, a, a negotiation tool, a contract management tool, taxes, uh, an agent workflow. So like you have to build a lot of different um, solutions to serve an athlete's life cycle of understanding, building, and, and ultimately monetizing their NIL value. So that's where a lot of our dollars go. It's like making sure that we have a, a great tool set for the athletes and then all those people that support them. Yeah, something I laugh about is uh, right when I graduated a year before NIL comes into place, the, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with NCAA basketball if they're ever going to bring it back, but I miss being in that game. Mm-hmm. If you were to go back to your time when you were playing in Nebraska, do you know kind of like based on the data you see how much you'd be worth as like a player and then be in the football games and all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, um, well, one, I got, I love being in the game. Like I think the, the, the EA sports bring about the college football game is a big deal. Like just for the kids, like, I don't care who, if they're, they're going to get paid something. Right. But no matter what they're getting paid, just the fact that the game is back, it's going to be a big deal. I was, your boy was, uh, I was an 85 overall back okay. in, in, in the day, like my, my junior year, um, and I'm proud of that, right? Like we all waited in line at midnight to get the video game. And the fact that it's coming back is such a, a big deal for student athletes. I don't think that people understand the impact of the culture uh, of a locker room on that game. And then, and, you know, f- yeah, for me, I would have made a, a buck or two for sure. That's awesome. And then uh, being a college athlete, then going right into building, really, I know you built a company before. I'm pretty sure that got acquired and now building Open Doors since then. You know, what is that? transition what has that process been like for you because everything you're doing and preaching you've kind of done yourself and certainly i think my experience in nebraska was helped inform the why behind open doors and same thing with audi canal my business partner you know i i was fortunate to be recruited across the country to play linebacker you know i was a top player in kansas gatorade player of the year and there was a lot of expectations for me going to nebraska and and I, I like to think that I met a lot of them. I, you know, I played as a true freshman and started as a sophomore, started as a junior, and then, you know, one day, uh, you know, could never play football again, like very right in the middle of it. I had I'd suffered four concussions in a year. My career was cut short. And, you know, at that point in my life, I'm, you know, 20 years old with the rest of my life in front of me. I thought I'd be a football player for at least the first 30 years of my life. And um, I had to go figure out what's next. And that story is true for every student athlete at at dang near 99.9% of them. Like this is their peak earning potential. Like this is the max um, eyeballs they'll ever have on them. So if they have the tools to make the most of that time in the spotlight, then they can maybe have something I didn't, right? And uh, which was taking uh, the experience of college and turning it into to work for yourself and, and being a launch pad into what's next. And you know, I, I think that when I say I didn't, like I had to do it on my own, right? Um, but to have a company like Open Doors that is there for athletes from you know, the day they get recruited to the day they retire, I'm proud of that. And uh, yeah, so the core of the business is built around that student athlete experience uh, that Audie and I went through in Nebraska and that we've helped you know, now 100,000 plus athletes through across the country since we started. Yeah, and something interesting, I had Sean Clifford on. He's a good friend, too, from Penn State. And, and he recently sold his NIL agency or got, he has, like, got stock options and all that, but in it. 
But any advice for like athletes, not just athletes, but really just entrepreneurs that want to build in sports? Because, I mean, we've kind of laid out the opportunity. It seems to be like a great time to jump in and try to build something. Yeah, certainly. Again, like every industry that is emerging, like needs infrastructure, needs people. And then the, if I'm talking directly to a student athlete that is out there trying to figure out, like, I like NIL, I want to stay near it, that sort of thing. Like lean into that emotion, that feeling, because your why that you're working in NIL matters. It matters when you're having conversations with a student athlete, when, it, when you're talking to a coach, talking to an administrator, talking to a brand, talking to a fan. Like it, it, if you are doing it for the right reasons, you will have doors open for you that, that others won't. And so student athletes should be like the founders of NIL companies because they know what it's like to be a student athlete. And so they have a, a significant advantage there. And there's also staying power. Like if for any entrepreneur that wants to start something, it is not all butterflies and rainbows, right? Like it is, is hard work. It's a roller coaster. It's up and down. So you have to care about what you're doing. Again, student athletes in the NIL industry make sense because they are experienced. They, they care about it because they, they were a student athlete. They've been through it. So I think there's an, a ton of opportunities for student athletes to stay in the NIL space and solve different problems because they will outlast others that are trying to come into the space or that are in the space currently i like to keep these around 30 minutes blake so so two more little yeah. things here i know i'll try I, and go quick too i can go faster i just like no, I, no, I feel comfortable talking with you so no it's good i mean if there's anything else you want to go into feel free but the one thing i was going to go go after was talking about like these trends and just sports tech in general or sports business in general and if there's any that you're really seeing right now that you think are going to have a major impact over the next three to five years. Certainly. I think that in across sports tech and, and Andrew, I want to kind of go back to a little bit of like question earlier too, about consolidation in the market and things like that. Like there are, um, NIL itself, like what is interesting about sports media, sports tech is that this is a, a winner take most market, right? So if you think about, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Like who is the leader in e-commerce in sports? Who is that? Top of mind. Fana- fanatics. Fanatics. All right. How about, yeah. um, let's talk about like video analysis or like video tools. You think of Huddle? You got, yeah, you got Huddle, Spideo, VO, Pixelot, but we all know it's going to consolidate to less than that over the next couple of years. Right. And then you go with like tickets, like you, you might say like SeatGeek or um, Ticketmaster, right? StubHub, like you're talking about two, three, you know, market shareholders and every main component of, of sports tech, right? So it is a winner take most market and um, that will be no different with NIL, right? Like the, the, the leader in this space will have a majority market share. And I think that's a, a trend that is real, but like when you look at like fanatics and what Ruben is doing and, and building an empire, um, what he's doing is focusing on what he knows best, which is the fan and consumer relationship and bringing technology to industries that you know, for a long time haven't you know, been technology centric um, with trading cards and anything he's doing a lot of things with wagering and whatnot. So I think there's going to be additional consolidation from the very top down. Fanatics will go after additional um, solutions in the market. And, you know, I was having a conversation today about AI, AI in sports, like what's going to happen with, with in sports media when AI starts to become part of the conversation. And I, I think that there was a lot of uh, energy and interest in 
NFTs in sports um, and as a collectible when that was all the buzz. AI is kind of in the same level of buzz, but I think the application in sports is much more um, tangible. And so I'll be interested to see how AI impacts sports technology over the next decade. And since you said you're good to go a little bit longer, I can yeah. keep going. I usually keep them 30 just because it's like comfortable for both sides. Yeah. But I, this is, this is fun. I mean, eventually yeah. I want to have them longer and longer. Yeah. But, but going off that, that AI piece, are you guys using it at open doors at all? I mean, AI, we've, we've used AI and artificial, like AI tagging um, of photos. So when Vanderbilt basketball uploads photos from today's practice, like every player on the court, it will use facial recognition to tag the athlete and give it hand delivered to them. So they see a curated uh, library of their images from today's practice. Like that, that's, we've used that for three or four years. And, but the application in our tool set or even just business uh, beyond is, is growing in terms of marketing, uh, messaging and uh, increasing communication, uh, individualizing our insights to the consumer or to our, our customers and users, like is something that is of growing interest to us. But the, uh, the application again is broader than, than open doors, I think is going to potentially change the the role of a sports information director, like the those that are writing game notes in preparation for games, um, a lot of that can be trained and, and automated um, to save a lot of folks' time and, and money, um, which should be interesting. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. I think there's a lot of implications of it. I do like it from the tagging standpoint. I think that's going to make everything way easier when we have it just to, like the fan engagement, the athlete, hey, here it is. It's just all AI. I mean, I use it all the time for emails and stuff. It's like, well, I and I don't need to use it completely continuously i can just use it once and then i have a template and then you know you just go from that right which is which is interesting now when you speak of you're talking a little bit about the sids at, at schools at universities or athletic departments we're seeing some general managers on the nil standpoint yeah. what, what's your thought process around around that and where's it going for the men's basketball football a general manager in women's basketball, a general manager role makes sense because a lot of the high level programs are building their teams in the transfer portal. Um, they are focusing on NIL opportunities as a key aspect of retention. Uh, so ensuring that student athletes are being supported from NIL opportunities in their local market. And that is a role that is pure business. And um, in college sports, the business roles have not included student athletes for years, um, but now they do. And so a general manager makes sense in the college realm. And I think that every team will eventually have a general manager. And, you know, Andrew, we know of, of schools that have a, uh, a role that is similar to managing a salary cap, like ensuring that there is enough support of the right student athletes in the right positions and the right places. And while it sounds um, interesting, it's the reality of today's world. You cannot hide it or deny it. And anyone that, that hears the, the term salary cap and NIL and college sports in the same sentence can get scared or shaky. But to do so is to deny the reality of what's going on across the market. So general managers will be a, a growing part of this industry, certainly. Obviously, the collective right now is mostly third party. But we're seeing a lot of athletic department people just like go create these collectives or set them up. Is this all coming in house? Is it going to be another branch? Are they going to create almost like a whole nother business aspect where this is like the entertainment division of <laughs> Vanderbilt basketball or Vanderbilt football? Yeah, I think there is. Uh, well, one, the collective leadership is important that the 
individuals that are running collectives understand college athletics, understand the role uh, that every player in within an athletic department plays. And uh, so it makes sense to have somebody that's worked in athletics be on the collective side because the college sports is just an interesting ecosystem. The collectives that are having um, the biggest challenges are those that are formed by folks that have no experience in college athletics. They, they just simply don't. And they're forcing a model uh, um, that is challenging at such an extreme to the, the current college sports model that there becomes a rub between the collective and the, and the college athletic department. So that's why that makes sense. Um, and then having a clear separation between the athletic department and the collective is important, but they have to collaborate as well in terms of um, making sure that everyone's following the rules. So it is a, the Venn diagram is seeing more and more overlap between the collective's role and that of a college athletic department. Um, but so long as the dollar flow is, you know, from collective to student athlete, then that's what keeps the industry afloat and, and um, infractions away. Uh, so that that's going to be important. And general managers will have their counterpart as a general manager of the collective. And like the two would, you know, have a role in these major markets, certainly. And will they turn a profit, these collectives, or are most of them just kind of accepting the fact, at least right now, that it's just a, you know, another tool to bring in the top talent? Any business that it desires to exist for some form of longevity must have a desire for profit. They can be a nonprofit, but the mentality must be for profit. And that is because uh, no one in the world works for free. No one does. Um, it, no matter what your truest intents are, um, there's something that you're gaining from your work and collectives should be no different. Like the, the smartest collectives have uh, built an operating budget, they're funding it. And then the people they're paying are generating NIL ROI. Like the people are getting paid to generate money for student athletes. And so long as the student athletes out earn whomever you're paying, that is a good endeavor. And yeah, so I think that collectives are have to, to exist, they have to have profit. So the best ones are at least structuring themselves to have an infrastructure and it's not a side project. Like the, the, there's 30 plus clutches that use open doors and the ones that are the most successful, this is their full-time job and they're compensated for their time, but their student athletes are far out earning what they're earning. And that's the important part. Last thing on the, the collective piece that's, that I at least find interesting. Um, but obviously a lot of college football coaches mostly have been against them. Do you think there becomes sort of a salary cap or a, you know, multi-year deals with players and we kind of start to shift into that lane? Uh, I think there, there are some collectives that structure their deals with student athletes as multi-year agreements. And I think it creates some interesting challenges. I think the more innovative approach is to have a either monthly or quarterly structure with with student athletes so that there's consistent support but it's there's more flexibility in, in terms of what they can add or take away and and not in terms of dollars but um workload and balance across a, a year and in season out of season yeah multi-year agreements that look a lot like salaries are are interesting but um in the era of the transfer portal and athletes looking out for the best interests individually we're seeing less multi-year deals because you never quite know if the student athlete will be in your region or market six months from now. Um, so likely, more likely to see like that six month window in terms of agreements in the collective space. That makes sense. 
hopefully no, uh, we won't get into it, but hopefully no unions. I don't know your thoughts on that, but hopefully it doesn't get to that point. But, uh, something interesting you did that I saw on Twitter, maybe a couple of weeks ago, you were sent NIL books yeah. to everyone, you know, what were in those, what's the thought process behind that? Yeah. NIL books are set out to answer a, a very simple question that student athletes ask is like, what's the NIL range? Like what should a student athlete expect to earn in, an, on an annual basis playing a certain position in a certain conference? I mean, that's a, it's a simple question. Like every industry in the world has salary data. I mean, if you want to know like what a nurse makes in a certain region of the country, like that's information that's available and that information is based on actual transactions and actual salaries of actual nurses in that market, like open is doing that same thing for the NIL industry. So based on over a hundred thousand transactions inside open doors from, you know, in hundreds of millions of dollars that have flown through, like where are athletes getting paid more? Um, where can they expect to get paid more? And that information being shared back with our college partners and collectives, like help them have an understanding of what's real, right? There's a lot of speculation about what an athlete's value might be, but what are they actually earning? And open doors exists to answer that question. Like here's what they're actually earning, um, based on position in sport and conference and division. And so that information is incredibly valuable that our, our collective partners and college partners get to benefit from. And the more partners and more collectives that Open Doors uh, can support, the more information that we can provide and the more accurate the, those uh, estimates and, and expectations become, which is important for any industry when it comes to, again, information asymmetry and, and trying to eliminate that so everyone knows what's real and what's not. So NIL books are that, and we're excited to see it evolve as uh, we add more partners and more data. No doubt, Blake. Yeah, I mean, you guys, you, Open Door, has been real market shapers. So it's been cool to kind of have a conversation, not so buttoned up or so just around the whole space, which will be good. Hopefully people will get value from this. But I guess any initiatives that you got going here this through this next year or upcoming that you want to talk about and then, you know, where we can learn more, find out, you know, your socials, Open Doors. Uh, we'll kind of, we'll kind of leave it at that before we just open up too many cans of worms here. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I, I would say, I mean, for... For folks to understand like what open doors exist to do in, in the most pure form, like I, I'll take you inside, like I'm on campus right now at Vanderbilt. And, and when we sit down with student athletes here, you know, I'll, I'll ask them a simple question like, hey, raise your hand if you want an NIL deal. And they will all raise their hand. Okay? And then I will call out one of them and say, hey, all right, I want to do an NIL deal with you. Where do I go? And the student athletes will start to say, well, you could like, you could DM me on Instagram. I'm like, okay, so I DM you on Instagram. Now, what do I say? Like, hey, I want to do a NIL deal. Like, okay, how do you reply? But like, great. And then what, what do you offer? And then you have to list out like, oh, I'll do a shout out or an appearance or, or like I'll do a social post. And then I was like, all right, what, how much does it cost? And like you, the athlete doesn't know what it costs. Like, this entire experience is silly, right? Like that student athletes right now are expecting that, hey, I want to do NIL deals and they have no place to send people to actually do a deal with them. And like open door solves that problem. Okay. Where it's like, you just send them a link to your openers profile. It shows you the cost of a shout out, an appearance, an autograph, a social post, whatever. And like a person can buy that from you right there. So in 2023, everyone that's listening to this podcast has bought something online. And I'm certain that that experience was simple. You, you went to a site, you found what you're looking for, you looked at the price, you paid for it and you got it. NIL is that same thing. Like Open Doors is providing that similar experience that you're used to in e-commerce to NIL. And when you see an eye, an athlete's eyes light up, like, oh, I understand now. Like, if I want an NIL deal, I have to make it easy for someone to send me an NIL deal. Yeah, that's the basics of business. And we're helping athletes 
not only have that site, but also get introduced to the concept of business and being marketable and having a, a storefront and fulfilling on your promises and like all those things add up to life lessons that student athletes get now because NIL exists that we didn't learn um, in, in college. And I think this next generation is going to be better business people for it. I agree. What is it? Opendoors.com, at Blake Lawrence, at Opendoors, I'm sure on everything. Yeah, that's right. At Blake underscore Lawrence and, and at Opendoors, O-P-E-N-D-O-R-S-E, Opendoors. Uh, and yeah, we're here, man. We'll be sharing things and been here for a decade and we'll be here for a decade. So, uh, and, and more, but thankful for the time today, man.